All righty. Now it's time for X Factor number 71. It's uh, I don't want to say this is like the, the second tier of the X books from this month, but uh, well, it ain't the flagship and uh, and it ain't uh, Marvel Comics Presents. So it's somewhere in the middle there. And I am joined by uh, Jeremiah. How you doing this uh, this fine month? I am well. Thank you, Chris. Absolutely. Now, uh, X Factor. This is a book that uh, I didn't know it was a thing. Back in the day. Uh, This is a book that you've actually discovered before, way before I even knew it was a thing. Uh, Tell me about how you first came across the title of X Factor. So my brother was reading X-Men, New Mutants, Mm -hmm. um, Alpha Flight. Mm -hmm. And when X Factor came out, he bought that. Um, I read a lot of the things he bought. um, And that's how I got into it. Uh, The you know, the original five team. Sure, uh, sure. Fall of the Mutants, Apocalypse, that kind of stuff. Very cool. Very cool. Yeah, because I've, I've said it before. Uh, I only experienced X-Factor during the Executioner Song crossover. So I remember sorting my books uh, during those months, you know, just putting them in order of uh, of chapters for Executioner Song. So I knew how to read them or whatever, because I reread comics a hundred times over back then because – I only had a handful, and that's what you did. So sure. uh, I I remember looking and seeing, like, X-Men was on number 14, and X-Force was on number 16, and then I get to X-Factor, and it's, like, on number 80-something. I, I couldn't believe that there were 80 issues of this book. I had assumed that it was just a new launch, just like X-Force and X-Men Volume 2. And then, I mean, when I find out that, like you said, the original five, it was it was Cyclops, Beast, Iceman, Angel and Jean Grey as the team. And yep. I thought I thought this was, you know, Cyclops's little brother's team. I never knew that this was actually at one time Cyclops's team. So it's uh, it was very interesting. And before long, X Factor became like my X-Men book because, well, it was the cheap one. You know, you could find this book in back issue bins for like two bucks each where uh if you look at x-men or x-force these were like five dollar books and they just come out you know uh it was just insane the the uh, the speculation but you know you could buy two or three issues of x-factor from the mid to late 80s for the same price as one issue of x-force so x-factor kind of by de facto became the book that i wanted to get a full set of and uh and, and i have in in the you know in the interim of course but uh you know before we go any further something i'm asking all of our guest hosts here all of our co-hosts i should say because you guys are all coming back hopefully um which x-men number one cover did you get I bought the um, pullout one, the gateway one that has the all background. the pictures together. Yeah. Very cool. Uh, and, and, but you didn't get that at the time, right? No, I was not buying comics at the time. There was a couple years right around when this was released when I wasn't. So I picked this up. I don't remember for how much, I don't think it was a dollar, but I don't think it was more than two or three. Okay. Okay, and uh, how about X Force number one? We're we're asking everybody where which card they got because uh, I got Sunspot and friggin' Gideon, so I want to know what everybody else got. It's funny. I just bought a copy of that out of the dollar bins this summer at the Boston Comic Con <laughs> um, to show it to my buddy, and I pull, either pulled the Deadpool or the Cable card. I think it was the Cable card. Nice. Nice. Yeah. So back in the day, that was. 
that was like the card, you know, the cable card was the one you wanted to get. And uh, nowadays, I don't think anybody cares about the cable card. It's all about the Deadpool card if you can get it. And I think I bought my brother a copy um, back probably like 97, 98, because uh, it was, you know, a quarter dollar bin book. You know, it was just always around. Nobody cared about yeah. X-Force. Nobody cared about anybody in it. And it was the Deadpool card. And, and, I, and I gave it to him because I was a big Deadpool fan back then, you know, before it was cool to be a Deadpool okay. fan. And uh, I thought it would be a cool one for him to have. And now he's got the valuable one and I've got Sunspot and friggin' Gideon. So, <laughs> which is a, uh, which is something you'll hear us talk about in a different segment, which, uh, oof, that's a toughie. That's a toughie to get through. <laughs> <laughs> and now you mentioned that this was a time you weren't reading comics. Uh, how long was this span that you were kind of out of the game? Because, it's it's weird because uh you know between you and uh, also Reggie you know you guys both stopped around the time I came in and uh, I always think that's interesting to have that odd overlap where you know the things are talking to me but they're not talking to the people who were enjoying them before you know so uh, when when did you stop? I probably stopped and not really consciously but um, right around eighty nine ninety my mm-hmm. junior year of high school. Um, and it was just because there was other things to spend my money on at the time, <laughs> hanging out with friends, you know, going sure. to play pool, that kind of thing. And then I probably restarted in 92, 93 when the, um, Frank Miller, uh, daredevil, uh, man without fear miniseries came out. Okay. With the Ramita junior art. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Very cool. Very cool. Now, uh, was were these X-Men books ever on your radar? Because that's one of the reasons that I'm I'm happy that you're a part of this is because, I mean, you're reading this for the first time. Am I am I correct? Yes, the, I, this is the first time I've read this series. Excellent. My brother was he was reading X-Men, um, around Executioner's Song probably okay. before that. So I may have read you know a couple of his things here and there, but. I was not paying attention to them at this time, no. Very cool. So I think you're going to have a very interesting perspective here, uh, because uh, which is something that I was really hoping to do with this program, just have different levels of experience with this era, because uh, this is an era that I wish I could, uh, you know, relive for the first time all over again, just to see how it, just to see how I would receive it as a grown up, uh, because this. When this came out, I was 11 years old, so this was right up my alley. And uh, I don't know how, you know, 39-year-old Chris would, would really <laughs> receive, you know, the the just the mishmash of X books uh, from 1991 now. But, uh, you know, let's get into X Factor number 71. It had a cover date of October 91, just like everything we're discussing today. You want to give us the credits? Sure. So it was written by Peter David with art by uh, Larry Stroman and inks by Al Milgram. Letterer was Michael Hessler, colorist, colorist, Glennis Oliver. Bob Harris was the editor and the EIC was Tom DeFalco. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and this was, uh, had a dollar cover price just like everything else. And uh, it was called Cutting the Mustard. Now, our story begins uh, with introducing Guido, Lorna Dane, 
and Jamie Madrox while they're having lunch together. They're uh, they're in a gigantic room, which I don't think has a ceiling, um, and they're making sandwiches. And uh, we open with a Grey Poupon reference, which I, I don't know if that's something we need to explain because <laughs> because you know back then you knew what the Grey Poupon reference was all about, but you know. I mean, in 2019, do, do, do people remember? I mean, do, do the kids these days know what, you know, Grey Poupon is all about? Do you, I'm sure you remember those commercials. Of, of course I remember it. I, the, you know, the limousine and the British guys and all yeah. that. Uh, <laughs> but, yeah, no, I don't think that's a joke that's carried through to the past, you know, 20 years or what, what have you. That's that's funny because I'm wondering, like, if there were pop culture references in – like a book in like 1976 that, you know, people who grew up around that time get right away. And then like, if I read it, I'd be like, well, what are they talking about? You know, what, what is, what is Dino might all about, you know? Yeah. But, uh, but yeah, Guido does ask for some gray Poupon and uh, Lorna says, but of course, and, and gives it to him. Uh, now, Jamie is fiddling with like a mayonnaise jaw, says he can't get it opened. And that we're going to see this mayonnaise jar all throughout this issue. Uh, we've got Lorna sitting there, and she's kind of concerned about seeing Alex, um, referring to, of course, Alex Summers, Havoc, because uh, she knows that uh, that he might be a part of this little unit before long. And, uh, you know, what? Do you, this is the first time you is this the first time you're seeing Larry Stroman on art? I want to say yes. OK, um, his his name certainly doesn't ring a bell. OK, so first impressions. What do you got? I liked it quite a bit when I was going into this book thinking it's going to be a nineties book. (laughs) I wasn't exactly thinking the art was going to be the kind of thing I'm into. I tend to shun nineties art to a certain extent, just because I don't find it that interesting. But Mm -hmm. this, this art, it really, it really grabbed me. Um, Mm -hmm. It, uh, it's very stylized, you know, the, the proportions are crazy and the Al, Mil- Al Milgram's inks are heavy. Um, but I dig the way he does Lorna on a couple mm-hmm. of these panels. Uh, reminds me of, do you remember those posters from the 80s? It would be a woman's face and there'd be big red lips and heavy eye makeup and mm-hmm. pastel hairs. I look... I it reminded me of that. So I looked up the guy's name that did a lot of them was Sid Brack. Yeah. And I actually had a poster where, you know, the woman had a, a cherry by the stem in her mouth and it, okay. You know, real silly stuff <laughs> when you look back on it, but that's the way some of these big portrait shots, um, look to me like they could be posters, that kind of thing. No, that's a, that's definitely a great comparison because I because you, you actually sent me off the air. You told me about uh, Sid Brack. I looked I looked him up and it, yeah, you, you couldn't be more right. It's uh, it looks a lot like that. It's very evocative of that style and just the sort of abstract, sort of uh, you know uh, disproportionate, very very stylized, like you said. And uh, you know the comparison that I can make, and and it's not a uh, it's not an aesthetic comparison. But, uh, you know, reading the four main Superman books uh, back then, you had uh, you had very, very classic, clean comic art. And then you had John Bogdanov, who was, uh, you know, big, bulky, bombastic Superman, you know, very blocky. 
and mm-hmm. uh, it was just it was just very different. It was like almost jarring when you'd go from chapter to chapter during those triangle era years where it's like you're following a story that has this clean, crisp art. And then all of a sudden it's a little bit more experimental. Back then I hated it. Now I like it. Just like with uh, just like with Strowman here. Back then I hated this. I thought this was like uh, just too weird for me because I, I, you know, I, I came in with Jim Lee and, mm-hmm. you know, Jim Lee is you know the he he's like the the perfectly posed uh not not so much proportionate uh, realistically anyway but perfectly posed characters uh that you could identify in in a snap where with Strowman it is it is a little all over the place but I have grown to appreciate it now back then hated it now I I kind of dig it and I feel like Oddly, it, it, it might have aged better than anything else that was going on back then. Uh, maybe it's just uh, the fact that I kind of gotten more accustomed to experimental art. But uh, who knows? Who knows? But, uh, you know, before we get any further here, I just want to introduce some of our characters here in case anybody doesn't know. I assume everybody knows who these people are if you're listening to this program. But, uh, you know, uh, I beg your indulgence, I guess. We've got Madrox the Multiple Man. He first appeared in Giant Size Fantastic Four number four, February 1975 cover date. He was created by Claremont, uh, Len Wein, and John Buscema. Now, his gimmick is that he can multiply, and uh, the story is that he was born, the doctor slapped him on the butt, and he multiplied. Uh, it doesn't really jive with, you know, the mutant gene kind of coming out at puberty, you know, but uh, <laughs> it's a funny enough story, so we'll just let it go. Now, he, uh, there was a tragedy at the Madrox home, and Jamie goes to New York, and he meets with Reed Richards from the Fantastic Four. He passes him over to Professor X, who passes Jamie over to Maura McTaggart. And so Jamie's hooked up on Muir Island. He would join up with the Fallen Angels for a very boring eight-issue limited series that ran from April 1987 through November 1987 cover dates. And this was a uh, very strange little team. It had the, the villain, the Vanisher, was part of it, uh, Gomi, Ariel, Chance... Those are, uh, you know, characters we love so much. Uh, also, Sunspot, Siren, Boom Boom, Moon Boy, Devil Dinosaur, and Warlock. And this is the, you know, Phalanx, Technarch, Warlock, not Adam. Um, we later learned that this is not the real Jamie in in uh, Fallen Angels, but it uh, doesn't really matter. After the Muir Island saga, Jamie joins up with X-Factor, so... Oh, I was just going to say that I started that Fallen Angels thing, and I didn't finish it. It was boring. <laughs> So I didn't know that it wasn't the real Jamie there. Yeah, I, I don't know if they I don't know if they actually revealed it in Fallen Angels or if it was something after Fallen Angels to contradict something that happened in that miniseries. That I think I've only read through it once, but I've tried rereading it over and again, and it, I never make it past like an issue or two. It's it's very dull. Um, actually, as we record this now, there is another Fallen Angel series coming out as part of this Dawn of X stuff, and. Uh, it's not bad. Um, it, it might be the weaker of all the new X-Men titles, but uh, it's not as boring as that old one. <laughs> <laughs> now, we also have Guido Caracello, who we will soon know as Strong Guy. Now, he first appeared in New Mutants number 29, July 1985, cover date. He was created by Chris Claremont and Bill Sienkiewicz. Now, he first appeared as the bodyguard for the uh, mutant rock star Lila Cheney. And uh, 
Well, he joins X-Factor after the Muir Island Saga. We're going to be talking about the Muir Island Saga, or at least mentioning the Muir Island Saga a whole lot this week. Um, Also, Polaris, real name Lorna Dane. She first appeared in X-Men number 49 back in October 1968. She was created by Arnold Drake and Don Heck. Uh, She was identified as a mutant by Cerebro, and her powers first emerged when she was under the control of the villain Mesmero. Now, throughout her entire existence, there's this odd... Is she or isn't she Magneto's daughter thing going on? I think at present she is. <laughs> but uh, Magneto seems to gain and lose children at the uh, the writer's whim a lot. But uh, who knows? Uh, now, she had a little to do in the Savage Land and uh, became Magnetrix or Magnetrix. Uh, and eventually she joined the X-Men. Uh, uh, she would uh, get taken captive by Krakoa during the giant size dealie. And uh, she would take the Polaris name while... Uh, under the control of another person here. And this was the Shi'ar agent, Eric the Red. She, along with Alex, would hit it off. And uh, they had a weird love triangle with Iceman, which, uh, you know, retroactively is a, is a little bit weirder. But uh, they both seemed to want to get with Polaris. Uh, this was played up pretty heavily during that John Byrne Hidden Years series that came out around the turn of the century as well. Um, now Lorna would go under the control of the Marauder Malice. She's always under control of somebody. Uh, she would grow real big. She would go back to normal. She got tied up with someone named Zalad Dane, who might be her sister because they both have Dane at the end of their name. I don't know. Um, Muir Island Saga happens. She's here in X Factor. Back to the story. We move to Genosha where we have Val Cooper trying to recruit Alex Summers for this new X-Factor team. He ain't keen on joining because he would rather rebuild uh, homes for mutants on the island, because this is all after uh, the ex- the extinction agenda. Are you familiar with the extinction agenda? I am not. I know okay. it was bad, but I mean, bad for the mutants. <laughs> <laughs> it, was, it was bad in a lot of ways. Uh, <laughs> Now, the, the gimmick there was uh, you had Cameron Hodge, who, uh, if you read with the X-Factor with the original five, Cameron Hodge was Warren Worthington's pal who kind of bankrolled or kind of was like the the corporate face of X-Factor while they were hunting mutants. But all along, he was a bad guy, and it was eventually revealed, and he stabbed them in the back. And uh, he took up in Genosha. He got, you know, the techno-organic virus. Uh, he started looking like a phalanx before there were phalanxes. Um, a bunch of people died. Um, Storm went bald for some reason. It was a very weird thing here. Um, I think maybe retroactively the most notable thing is like, you know, Cable and Wolverine first cross paths there. And, uh, yeah, but, uh, you know, I, I wouldn't tell you to run out and read it if you, if you haven't already, <laughs> but, uh, Genosha got destroyed and, uh, Alex is here trying to rebuild it. And uh, Alex, you know, Alex Summers, of course, he is the brother of Scott Cyclops Summers. He first appeared in X-Men number 54, March 1969, cover date. He was also a Drake and Heck guy. Um, He, just like his brother, was tossed out of an airplane by his parents because their plane came under the attack of a Shi'ar battleship. Naturally, they had a parachute. They didn't just jump. Um, Now, he'd meet the original X-Men after earning his degree in geophysics. He'd get kidnapped by the living monolith, or the living pharaoh, if you will, uh, who feared that Alex's mutant power might rival his own one day. He joined the X-Men alongside uh, Lorna and uh, was on and off with Lorna and also on and off with the X-Men. 
Uh, he would come back during like the Outback X-Men days after they were you know, presumed dead. Uh, he would en- eventually enter the Siege Perilous, which is a whole other kettle of fish. Uh, when he came out the other end, he was an amnesiac in Genosha. And he worked his way up to being a high-ranking magistrate or magistrate in the Genosian army. He'd eventually come back to his senses, and uh, here we are in X-Factor, because uh, all that good stuff. Okay, now back to the story. Uh, suddenly, an I-beam snaps from its supports and plummets towards Val and Alex. Alex just plows the thing with an energy blast, and uh, just then, Rain Sinclair, who I always called Ronnie Sinclair growing up, uh, leaps into the scene, pushing the other Summers brother out of the way. Val Cooper doesn't even flinch. Uh, she says she wasn't scared in the slightest because she knew Alex would do the right thing. We jump back to Washington, D.C., where Quicksilver arrives, and uh, he does so with the only inhuman I ever cared about, Lockjaw. Now, you say that you didn't care about the Inhumans, but I'm actually a big fan. Um, <clears throat> you might be the first person I ever spoke to who uh, <laughs> who, was, who was claiming ownership of the Inhumans. I, I just I don't know what it is about them. I, just, I I dig them that they're kind of maybe they're underdogs, they're outcasts. I I like the character designs, um, like Black Bolt. The idea of a king who can't speak to me is that it's just a great idea. He if if he says anything, he unleashes unspeakable horror upon his subjects. Mm-hmm. So the idea of him ruling. Or, you know, being in charge of a group of people on the dark side of the moon or wherever they happen to be. Um, I just find it interesting. And I like the other characters. Gorgon. <clears throat> I've got a a love of mythical creatures. Like, Gorgon's a satyr. He half man, half goat. Um, the character design, I think, is excellent. Um, Karnak. Yeah, his power... You know, he can find any weak spot or whatever. Yeah, I get it. That's a bit silly or whatever. (laughs) But he can be, when he's written well, he can be a nice counterpoint to Gorgon. You know, he's a bit more rational, a bit more Mm -hmm. in control of his feelings. Um, Triton, he's the weak one in my book. Do you really need a fish man on the moon? (laughs) It's true. It's true. Crystal, I dig because... Some of the better stories that I've read with the Inhumans are when they meet up with the Fantastic Four, their, mm-hmm. you know, adversaries or their allies. But Crystal and Johnny Storm kind of make a, a nice bridge mm-hmm. between the two groups. And then Lockjaw, he's just a giant dog. So how do you beat that? You know, you can't beat that. Yeah. No. <laughs> you know, I tried uh, getting into the Inhumans uh, when they did the uh, the Marvel Knights launch back in 98. And I think it was uh, Paul Jenkins and Jay Lee who did yep. this uh, series. I just couldn't get into it. I, I wanted to because I was a, uh, you know, I was the Marvel zombie. I bought everything anyway, so I might as well try to read it and enjoy it. Couldn't get into it for the life of me. Um, I went back to uh, some of the Fantastic Four stuff, and, uh, you know, they I don't know what it was about these guys. I just didn't. And this is before I, I hated them for other reasons. You know, uh, <laughs> I just uh, they just kind of bored me. I think I just have a bias against uh, space characters, really. I, I don't uh, I don't find them interesting. I think. I can only suspend my disbelief to the point where a guy can fly. You know, when we start getting into space, I just, uh, 
I just lose uh, I lose any kind of uh, relativity to it. It's uh, you know you think about that George Collin joke where it's like you hear like there was a, a chemical plant exploded and like your ears perk up and then you find out it was like oh it was across the country and you're like ah, I don't care you know <laughs> it's too <laughs> far away for it to matter and uh, I just never saw the stakes with them and then you know, jumping into the past 10 years where they've just been stuffing them down our throats and at the expense of the X-Men. Uh, I, I, that's uh, that's something that I don't think I'll be able to get past because it was just so blatant. And uh, and I just find these characters to be... Uh, I find them to be weak to begin with, but compared to the X-Men, I mean, who are the Inhumans? <laughs> I just... Uh, I don't see strapping a rocket to them. I, I just I just don't get it. And I, I, I can understand that. I So I'm a big fan of the space characters. Um, I, I do enjoy those storylines, the cosmic mm-hmm. stuff. So I, I, I guess that's where, to me, that's where they thrive. I sure. didn't much care for the let's replace the X-Men with Inhumans. That was silly. Yeah, a very – and, I mean, we're going we're gonna to talk about Quicksilver here who, like – they they kind of like made him into I, I did they make him an inhuman so he they could put him in movies or something because I know they made him not Magneto's son anymore or were they miracles is that what they were calling them instead of mutants they were they were actually like a race called the miracles or something I don't remember what they called them in that first Avengers movie mm. um the the whole recent things with the Marvel movies the Inhumans the TV shows. And who has the rights to what? I honestly can't follow it all. As far <laughs> as I true. know, he's still a mutant. Oh, I hope so. I hope so because I mean, it's just, it, like it, it's just so silly, and uh, I can't follow it. And I, I have very little interest in in the other media as it is. But when we start to when we start to like argue continuity in something that I don't care about, I it's like what? <laughs> I don't know. But uh, <laughs> we are talking about Quicksilver here. Uh, his real name is uh, Pietro Maximoff, at least it was. Uh, first appearance, X-Men number four, way back March 1964, created by Stan and Jack. And at this point, X-Factor number 71, back in October 1991, he was still Magneto's son. So we're going to go with that, you know. Uh, there were no movies at that time, so what are you going to do? Uh, Quicksilver, he was part of Magneto's first Brotherhood of Evil Mutants, uh, but he did turn into a good guy pretty quick. He joined the Avengers when uh, there was a little roster shift where, uh, you know, Thor and Iron Man left and we were left with Cap's kooky quartet. Now, that was Avengers number 16, May 1965, cover date. Uh, he and his sister, the Scarlet Witch, would lose their powers and they were sent to Wondergore Mountain, which might be the only thing I find more boring than the Inhumans. Wondergore? <laughs> Ugh. It's a, I think it's just like a farm with that, that, that cow lady, and that's it? I don't know. <laughs> now, their powers came back, and so did they. Uh, Quicksilver would marry the Inhuman Crystal. Uh, together, they would have a daughter named Luna. And here he is in X-Factor, or about to join X-Factor. We're not officially there yet. But he is there to meet with X-Factor. Winds up in Washington, D.C., right in the middle of an anti-Roxxon demonstration. Now, Roxxon is like the premier uh, Marvel bad corporation. And uh, they're, uh, you know, they're they're pretty bad about everything. You know, I'm, I'm sure they're anti-union and I'm sure they're anti-environmentally uh, whatever the hell. And they're just bad dudes. 
Now, one of the protesters in this uh, little demonstration proclaims that Roxon is, quote, raping the environment. And, uh, I mean, this is 1991, and they're, they're using the word raping, which I, I don't know if I've seen it in, like, a mainstream superhero comic uh, this early on. It, it does feel quite... Um makes the comic seem a bit more mature. It's not a word that I would have come across um, earlier in comics for sure that I can recall. One thing of note I, that I'm just realizing, mm-hmm. Roxxon is not let not an unsubtle play on Exxon. Yeah, even oh, absolutely. Looking, <laughs> even looking at the logo, I'm seeing that it's Exxon. And I'm like, yep. you're just realizing this now? Come on. <laughs> no. Now, Quicksilver, he's, he's in this mess of humanity here, and he's informed that there's a bomb about to go off. And so he rushes into action in order to take care of it. You know, he uses his super speed, and he finds and deactivates the boom box before it goes boom. From here, we shift back to Genosha. Do you say Genosha or Genosha? Genosha. Genosha. Okay, good. Yeah. So do I. I, I. I have talked to people who have said Genosha, though. Now, and, but then again, I, I say Ronnie instead of Rain. So, <laughs> so Alex, Rain, and Val—they're chatting about what this new X Factor can be, what it can offer to them as members. Alex is still—he's steadfast in his refusal. He does not want to, you know, get back into the superheroing game, which prompts the arrival of Professor Xavier and Cyclops to try to convince him. And uh, I mean, if you read some of the Silver Age stuff, it seems like Professor Rex was a uh, he was pretty fast and loose with the old mind wipe, you know. I I, I wonder if he was uh, going to use that here if if worse came to worse. Uh, thankfully, that didn't come to pass uh, because they told him Lorna's there, so he's like, "All right, we'll do it." Uh, speaking of Lorna, back in Washington D.C., she answers a door knock. There's a knock on their uh, ceilingless uh, penthouse, whatever. And on the other side of the door, it's Quicksilver. He's finally found his way over. But he ain't looking too hot. Now, once he's inside this ridiculously high ceilinged room, he faints straight away. Guido carries him over to the couch. Some time passes and we get a gag about the Inhumans convincing Ben Grimm, that's the thing, that Lockjaw was a humanoid that became a dog instead of just, you know, being a dog. Now, was this a running joke or was this a joke that they just put in here? Because I feel like this is a urban myth that i've heard before and i don't mean when i listen to your show when you discuss this issue i mean like this is something i can remember thinking guys guys lockjaw is a human he just looks like a dog he can talk but is this the first time this came up or i don't know because it feels like a mandela effect sort of situation where it's like I could swear that Lock that I've read, you know, the verifiable proof that Lockjaw was, you know, was was a humanoid. You know, he was yep. he was able to he was just like the rest of them, just uh, transformed into a dog or whatever. I it's very, very strange. Uh, I don't know if this was uh, maybe lampshading that urban myth or maybe this is what started the urban myth. But, uh, yeah, yeah, I'm right there with you. I feel like. I feel like it's uh, like one of those things that might have come up like in a in like a Ben Grimm poker game uh, issue or something. Exactly. And it, yeah. And it just kept coming back. But uh, or maybe this is maybe them this this is Marvel drawing a line under that. It's like, no, no, he's no longer a guy who was <laughs> who was turned into a dog. Now he's just a dog. But 
What are we now? Now, uh, as Quicksilver comes to, we learn that something has happened to his powers. Now, if you're a speedster in any comic book universe, this sort of gimmick kind of gets you. Now, every time he uses his super speed, every time he taps into, you know, the Marvel Speed Force, uh, his metabolism accelerates his aging. So, in essence, every time he uses his powers, his powers are killing him. Aging and super speed and everything. Yeah, th- this does feel like something that it, it plenty of writers have, have toyed with or whatever. Yeah. I haven't I haven't honestly read a whole lot of Flash uh, up mm-hmm. until the recent years, and I've I've read plenty of comics that have Quicksilver, so to me it doesn't feel like something that's been overdone. Mm-hmm. So I'm looking forward to see where where this goes in the in the in this comic what 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 they do with it. You know, so am I because I honestly don't remember how it all worked out. So I'm I'm also looking forward to seeing where this goes and who and who's behind it because because uh, we're gonna find out that. They have an idea who might be behind it. They just don't have a name. But first, we jump over to Genosha, back to Genosha, or actually somewhere between Genosha and Washington, D.C., because we're on a jet heading back to the States. Now, on board, and this is something that I only noticed this reference this most recent time I read this issue. I mean, we covered this issue on the treadmill like two years ago, and I didn't even get this joke then. Um, Val Cooper says she has a brother who's in the FBI and, uh, she's jealous that he's got all these really cool stories to tell. So she's hoping that X factor and the formation of X factor and her dealings with X factor are going to like give her stories to tell at Thanksgiving, you know, so it's not just all about her all-star FBI brother. And she tells us about a case that he's working on. He's uh, somewhere in the Pacific Northwest and it's uh, regarding a girl who was found dead, wrapped in plastic. And uh, I did not get this Twin Peaks reference until this most recent time. I I feel ashamed. Uh, I mean, I I go up there every year because I'm a Twin Peaks fan. I didn't get this reference until just now. And and until you wrote it in the notes, I honestly (laughs) didn't catch it either. I've not seen Twin Peaks. I've not watched it. I know the story, and this is a... A reference to Laura Palmer, right? Yeah, yeah, this is absolutely a reference to, to Laura Palmer. I, 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 it's like I feel like a bad fan, you know. <laughs> <laughs> I've I've spent a lot of money in that town, but I just didn't get this reference. <laughs> um, <laughs> we jump back to Washington D.C., where Quicksilver is continuing his tale of woe. Now he claims that he learned via a postcard. That somebody in the Washington, D.C. area is responsible for this accelerated aging. So somehow they tapped into his powers and have screwed with them pretty bad. Now, as he tells his story, uh, something else that's very fast is Val Cooper's jet. Because Havoc and Wolfsbane appear and they announce that they're joining the team. Now, Alex and Lorna have a nice little reunion, much to Rain's dismay. Now, we talked about the extinction agenda a little bit ago. During that, Rain went through some stuff. She found herself mentally bonded to Havoc against her will by some sort of crazy doctor. You know, just gave her this weird, just pressing urge to be with Alex. And anytime anybody gets between them, it's uh, it's not a good scene. And uh, this is something we're going to be dealing with for quite a while. Uh, we're in issue 71. I don't think this gets cleared up until issue 100. 
Wow. So, uh, yeah, this is a long lingering subplot in, in the grand X-Men tradition. So I, I can't get mad at it, but it's, uh, it's, uh, you know, it, it's not terribly interesting, but it's, it's going to be around. <laughs> it's going to be love, around. love triangles are one of the things that make the, these long running plots work well if it's done by. Oh, absolutely. Especially absolutely. the X-Men series. Certainly, certainly, because yeah, the X Men, you know, they're they're no strangers to like the soapiness of uh of comics. Uh, they yeah. they've really tapped into that, and uh, and love triangles are you know like you said when they're written well, they're there's really not much better. You know, they they can really they can really tell you a, a story that a normal superhero comic might not. You know, it's it's about adding layers and uh, adding uh you know personalities and all that good stuff, but uh. But yeah, we will be dealing with this for a little while. Now, since Alex is there, he figures, hey, why not give opening that mayonnaise jar a shot? Because everyone else has tried. Uh, it doesn't work. He blasts it. I mean, they're in this, well, it, this room doesn't have a ceiling, so it's not like it's uh, an enclosed location. But I mean, he blasts it with his powers. And the mayonnaise jar doesn't open. Yeah. Finally. Yeah. Val Cooper gives it a whap on the edge of a table, just like, you know, just like your mom used to when you couldn't get the jar open and easily unscrews the lid. What do you think about this mayo? It, it's a little uncomfortable looking it's, the way she's like, holding it, the way it's dribbled on her hand. Um, it, highly suggestive. Yeah. Especially with the smirk on her face. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, obviously Al Milgram and, uh, uh, Strowman knew what they were doing in this panel. So yeah, it, it's you know doesn't leave a lot there to. No, it's 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 like the most coagulated mayonnaise I've ever seen, and yeah. it's uh it's very unpleasant to look at. I couldn't imagine smearing this on on a sandwich or, or mixing it up with tuna fish. It's not not good. But that night we learned that Jamie Madrox's mayo jar was actually a gimmick that he invented back on Muir Island. Why? Like, I I don't know. I, <laughs> it, it it seems like an odd thing to do, but I thought yeah. the joke worked in the in the in this comic. But sure, yeah, sure. It's, it's weird. And and the fact that it actually had mayonnaise in it. How long was that mayonnaise in there? I don't know. <laughs> now <laughs> he's there in his room, his darkened room. He's congratulating himself. And uh, just like Lorna earlier on that day, he's interrupted by a knocking at the door. He answers it and is just ran through with bullets, just positively riddled with bullets. He's blown back by the shots and he crashes through a window and he winds up falling several floors. And the issue actually ends with him laying lifeless and smoking and smoldering. So uh, that's uh, that's what we in the biz call a cliffhanger. Yeah, that's a it's a hell of an ending. Um, very dramatic, mm-hmm. big big lines. I mean, just the the panel where he's getting shot, where you see the barrel of the gun and the boom boom boom, and it it it's very impressive. It is it, cinematic. Is yeah, very cinematic. But yeah. at reading it, there's no way any comic book fan could read this and not want to immediately read the next issue. Absolutely. Absolutely. No, they they did this right. Um, now, th- th- I mean, this this is coming out during a very, very important month in, in X-Men and Marvel history. And uh, I think it uh, I think it actually pulled its weight with uh, with this story here. I mean, uh, 
this this feels like something new, you know, um, you could come into this and not really know a whole lot of what came before. And I think you'll still you'll still get something out of it. Like this is this is back in the day, like everybody would talk about how the X-Men were so convoluted and so just, you know, just every you, you, you couldn't keep the story straight because there was just so much going on and so much contradictory stuff. And uh, I mean, this is the first time you're reading it and uh, you were able to follow it. Yeah, it is the first time I read it. So um, I I liked it very much because I could I had some familiarity with the characters. So I know mm-hmm. who Havoc is and Lorna, sure. Wolfsbane, Jamie Madrox and stuff. But even with the the things that happened before that they're talking about on Genosha or, you know, this this thing between Havoc and Rain. Mm-hmm. Even although I don't know what those things are, this story is interesting enough to pull me in, engage with these characters, and it, it's coherent. You know, it, it is. You, there's obviously an attraction between Lorna and Havoc. They they reference it several times. Guido's kind of a goofball. Mm-hmm. Um, Jamie Madrox is kind of a goofball before he gets shot. So <laughs> it it was it was a very pleasant read i didn't feel lost and yeah thumbs up for sure absolutely and uh and it's it's crazy because uh this is the this is the issue that i had to work back to when i started collecting these books because like i said i didn't know that there was anything before this i i didn't know that you know i didn't know that cyclops had a son that he gave away just three three issues before this in this very book, you know, it's, oh, yeah. it's wild how, uh, just how this book changed and, uh, you know, looking at it with uh, 2019 eyes here, there's no way this would happen now. This would be X factor number one. Yeah. You know, I, I, I definitely was because, you know, I'm still reading comic books. This feels unusual to have a, a launch, a new team. Mm-hmm. A new creative team. Yep. And it's issue seventy one. <laughs> not wild, not a isn't it? One double sized, you know, six dollar book. <laughs> it's the same price as every other book that came out that month. Mm-hmm. And it, to me, it, it this is an era when long runs mattered more than having twelve number ones in a year or whatever yeah. you know whatever it is for sure. Absolutely, yeah. It's a bit of fresh fresh air in reading a back issue like this. <laughs> it's true, hundred percent. Yeah, because this is this makes it. I'm I'm a huge lore guy, and this just makes it feel like we're we're just we're just adding on to the lore of what X Factor is, was, and and, and you know will be later. It's just the next evolution here. Just like you know, just like Uncanny X Men before it, or X Men at the time. You know, they didn't start over after Giant Size. It was X-Men number 94 with a mm-hmm. new team, with new creators and new blood, a totally new vibe. And they didn't restart it. And uh, I, I really appreciate this keeping keeping that history there. Um, I, I, you know, like I said, I, I came into this about a year after this happened. So I remember just feeling heartbroken that they canceled the New Mutants for X-Force, even though I never read New Mutants before. But just the fact that it made it to 100 and they canned it <laughs> to have a new number one. I was like, ah, oh, man, that stinks. But uh, 
you know, of course, it's a it's a totally radical take on it, but uh, and it does make sense in that situation. But I'm just so happy they didn't do it here. I think this is uh, I, this just feels more right. And uh, maybe it's because X Factor was kind of an afterthought. Maybe I don't know. I, I think of the main four X books, this one was probably getting like the least editorial eye. Between, you know, Uncanny and X-Men Volume 2 and X-Force, this is definitely the also-ran. You know, this is the, you know, this is the John Bogdanoff Superman book. This is the also-ran book. Well, um, and there's no, I mean, there's none of the characters, I mean, are pro- first-tier necessarily sure, sure. X-Men. I mean, Havoc, yeah, but, um, I mean, even, the, even when um, Scott and Professor X show up, they're really only in it for two or three panels. Yeah. So it's not like they put them there like, oh, you you know, if you love Cyclops, read this book. <laughs> there you know? it is. <laughs> not like that. So it, it's definitely a, you know, a middle-of-the-road team. Sure. Um, so, yeah, maybe that's why it doesn't relaunch. But it worked It worked really well, for sure. It did. Absolutely. Now, this uh, this issue actually came with a letters page. Um, now, we took a look at the letters page. Do you have any takeaways from uh, from these uh, missives from the readers? So looking through the letters, I honestly I, I didn't read every letter, the letter, you know, every word of every letter. Sure. Mostly because they were all referencing, you know, the last few issues, 66 to 68 um, that I haven't read. Mm-hmm. The one thing I, I think find the Inhumans were in one of those, though. I think the Inhumans were actually in one of those with uh, Will Spritasio on the art. <laughs> <laughs> but the, you know, the, the, there's all the letters are positive letters about the story they were telling, the art or the writing, um, how much they love these characters. So, yeah, I just kind of skimmed them. But there was one at the end. Um, the Catherine Servini, if that's how you pronounce her name, where she talks about her experience with the X-Men and the original five and things like that. So that, that letter hit home a little bit more because it's more in line with my experience reading X-Factor from, you know, 71 issues ago that my brother had kind of thing. Sure. Sure. Yeah. Cause that, you know, that was, uh, that, that was as cheap as I was able to get it back then, even during the the, the 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 haughty speculator days, a lot of stuff happened in there. I mean, the first appearance of Apocalypse. I remember getting that for like three or four dollars because nobody cared. Yeah. <laughs> nobody cared. And this was 1992, 1993. So, yeah. I mean, it, it's not like uh, it's not like first appearances weren't anything we cared about back then. That was, you know, the bread and butter of the back issue bins. And. I was able to get that. Nobody cared. You know, I was able to get the the whole Judgment War thing that ran for like seven or eight issues uh, when the Simonsons were doing it. I remember getting those for like a dollar each and just being blown away because like my main back issue, uh, uh, you know, hunt back then was ElfQuest. And I couldn't find those for a dollar. Those were two dollars. And here we are with X Factor for a dollar. And it's an X book. It's a Marvel book from the 80s and uh, just blew me away. And uh, so it's 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 really cool that like going back to the lore, it's like you had, you know, Warren dying or Warren faking his own death, turning into Archangel. So much cool stuff that just 
it, that's still part and parcel of X-Men storytelling to this very day. And, uh, and I, I looked at that, that, that Catherine Servini uh, letter too, and it's, it's a lot of that. And I, I really like it too. It was a, it was a really good one. Well, and even the, when X factor first started and it, you know, they're the mutant hunters that are, yes. you know, covert mutants and nobody knows kind of thing. That's a story now that Marvel seems to be telling and retelling every few <laughs> years. True. And it's not necessarily, true. I mean, it's cause it, I guess it works. It does work. Yeah. But you know, when that, I read it when it was those first issues and that was a, it was pretty cool. It, those were good, just good fun stories. They were. Yeah, solid stuff, very solid stuff, and uh, yeah, and they and they were building a cast, they were building a world. It was uh, really good stuff. Yeah, yeah. They definitely recommend it to to revisit that uh, if if you haven't before. Uh, I would say that the, there's an affordable way to do so with the essentials, but uh, I think the essentials are all like gold now, so <laughs> those might be a little hard to come by. But I'm sure that that most of them are probably on the Marvel Unlimited if you've got that. They uh, also just did the. Um... The, the newer line of trades, the, the epics? masterpieces. What are they? The epic collections? Yeah, the epic ones. <laughs> they just did the, I think there's at least two or three X-Factor ones, and those seem to be pretty affordable and in yeah. color. Yeah, they're, they're, they're high quality, definitely yeah. high quality books. They're uh, worth worth a dive. I mean, there are places online you can get them half price, so go for it. Yeah. <laughs> there's no reason not to. Um, now, continuing with the back matter of this issue, we got some ads. And uh, you want to you wanna start walking us through some of these ads? Yeah, certainly. So the first one on the inside cover is the full-color ad for Bill & Ted's Excellent Adventure video games for the NES. And the... <laughs> <laughs> now, Not good. <laughs> I can't play the games myself. But I do like Bill and Ted. I like the the first movie. Mm-hmm. I like the second movie. That one doesn't hold up as much as well okay. uh, for me. But they they were fun, goofy movies. Sure. I can't say you know I'm dying to go out and find the ROMs for these games or anything. <laughs> um, one thing that was funny, the uh, I picked up an issue. There was a Bill and Ted's comic. Yeah. I didn't know about it was um, done by Evan Dorkin. Okay. Uh, I think it ran 10 or 11 issues. I, I picked up issue eight in a cheapo bin and it was, it was pretty funny. I, I, I'm someone who likes Evan Dorkin generally. Sure. Uh, I, I liked milk and cheese when, you know, I was in college and it was cool to read an indie comic like that, but I really like his beast of burden stuff now. Okay. So. Yeah, because I, it's weird. Like he'll he'll pop up in like these like odd Marvel comics from around this time, and you never knew it was him. I, I came across one called Fight Man, and it's like oh, about oh. this like I'd never seen it before. It's like this nerdy kid who becomes like a like a jerk superhero, and like the cover is like everybody hates Fight Man, and it's a Marvel comic, and it's 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 Evan Dorkin, and it's just very very bizarre and. It, it, it's always cool to discover something like that, but but these games, yeah, brother, brother, brother. Mm, now, did you good. play them? Yes, yes. I okay. remember renting. I never played the Game Boy one, but I'm assuming. I mean, if the Nintendo one wasn't good, I'm sure the Game Boy one wasn't either. But I remember renting it, and it was a uh, like you'd have to you'd have to you'd use the phone booth, and you were like trying to call 
to find certain people lost in history, like, you know, Cleopatra or Napoleon or Abraham Lincoln or whatever. And like, you would call them by like, they had two different phone numbers in a, like a cosmic phone book. And, uh, and it would send you through the tubes of time where you'd use a coin every time you dialed a number on the phone or something. And you'd have to like shoot your phone booth from circle to circle to circle to get to even the level. Just, you haven't even started playing yet. (laughs) <laughs> and you already want to take the thing out and chuck it against the wall. And then you get into it and it's like, it's got this isometric perspective. You know, it's not like a straight 2d platform sort of a game. It's got this odd isometric perspective and you're on like these weird paths, but you can leave the paths and you have to leave the paths in order to find these secret items. But when you leave the path, you're like jumping into grass and you can't walk on the grass. So you just jump and you fall down. <laughs> and then you, all you can do from there is jump again. And if you don't make it back to the, to like the path, you fall down again. But like the whole thing is you're jumping into random places in order to find some sort of historical relic that you have to give to some sort of historical character. And then they come and they join your band. It's, it's really, really, really bad stuff. Wow. Yeah. So what, what, what other, what other ads on that high note? What other ads we got here? <laughs> So moving on, we get to a, a Fleer football card ad, and it, it, at the same time, I, I, I dabbled in baseball cards, sports okay. cards, things like sure. that. Um, I wasn't collecting cards, at, you know, when this series had come out, um, mm-hmm. but I, I did have some football cards from earlier years. I had the the pro, I like to think of it as famous. I don't know if it is or not, but the pro step <laughs> football series, cause it was the, the first year, the debut year. And you know, there was Barry Sanders rookie cards in it and things like that. Okay. So I, I did have a lot of those cards. Um, and it, I was a big fan of Bo Jackson mm-hmm. still at this time. I wasn't buying his cards or anything, okay. um, but I was a big fan of Bo Jackson. I actually got to see him play at Yankee stadium when he was on the Royals. Okay. Um, my dad had got it. We were Yankee fans growing up, but my dad got tickets because he knew I was a big Bo Jackson fan. Um, so we got to see him play and got to see him make, make a great play in, in left field or center field. Um, so it, when I see, you know, these old football cards, things like that, I, I always end up thinking about Bo and, you know, Bo knows and the famous pictures and things like that. He was huge. Yeah. Back then. I mean, he, yeah, he, I, you know, I don't know if it's just my, my, you know, 10, 11 year old memory, but it's like, he was like up there with Michael Jordan and Magic Johnson in, yeah. in so far as like iconic, you know, sports figures. Uh, yeah. Bo Jackson was huge. It, uh, all the endorsements he had, uh, all the different shoes and, and, oh man, he was just everywhere and, uh, just seemed like a really cool guy on top of everything else. Uh, not to, you know, sound too much like a, a dork or whatever but i did have this autobiography you <laughs> okay. know that had the picture on it you know the famous picture with the 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 shoulder pads and the baseball bat yes and he he really was a pretty pretty genuine dude he was a down-to-earth dude that mm-hmm. um he grew up with a stutter and was kind of a loner and he excelled at sports and he was able to you know build himself up and he got into sure. Auburn and had the great career there. I'm pretty sure he won the Heisman trophy and everything. Okay. And he, he had, he, I mean, who knows what could have happened 
had he not got hurt in that Cincinnati game. Absolutely. You know? Yeah. Because, <clears throat> like, as quick as he came and, and as big as he came, when it was over, it was over. Yeah. You know, yeah. you just didn't hear about Bo anymore. And uh, yeah. it was like one, like a couple of years later, you'd be like, hey, remember Bo Jackson? <laughs> it's like, where yeah. did he go? But, uh, yeah, that's uh, it's always cool to see uh, to see that stuff, because that's one of those like touchstone sports icons from from my youth. And uh, yeah. not that I was ever a huge sports fan, but, uh, you know, everybody knows Bo. Right. Or anybody our age knows Bo. Right. You, you would at least have seen that ad and had to think, wow, that guy looks pretty cool. Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. <clears throat> and just what a, uh, you know, just what an awesome athlete just to be able to yeah. excel in, in, you know, two very different sports. That's very yes. cool. Now, we also have an entertainment this month. How you like those? Yes. I remember these at, I mean, these, these companies, because they were around for years before and years after. Yeah. This has got that big, goofy picture of cable that I'm, <laughs> I'm not a cable fan. Um, so it, it's a little bit of a turnoff. But I can remember all these ads advertising all the free stuff you would get. Oh, if yeah. Ordered comics. You know, they'd send you posters and pins and things like that. Mm-hmm. And that kind of thing, I I love that that free swag or whatever. Sure. Uh, I can remember a poster we got, you know, with our inside comic stores or whatever of the Aquaman miniseries. Remember the 86 one where they had the blue ocean costume? Yes. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. we had a, a four panel poster of that that we got for you with our books that week. And that was hanging up at the room in our dad's house probably <laughs> five years, you know, and not oh, because we were awesome. lazy and took posters that up and down or anything. It was sure. just a picture, but it was a free, cool poster. So, oh, and I, you know, I've been digging through my garage. I've been sharing some of the stuff I found in my garage online, but, uh, I, I love that swag too. I mean, I yeah. keep everything. I mean, I've got like, the postcards that like announced the age of apocalypse still i've got i've got like the preview i've got previews from like 1991 1992 the catalogs i I just hold on to everything and uh because those would come with like the uncut cards you'd have like a a full sheet of silver surfer prism cards and and it's like how can you throw that out and at the same time how can you pull it out of the thing because then you know the value is you just don't know but uh but yeah, I, I loved grabbing the inside comics. I loved grabbing the posters and the pins. Um, you know, we had the Avengers vs X Men thing, and all the shops in town had a uh, they had like two different balls of pins, and you could pick one up, and it's like I'm with the X Men or I'm with the Avengers. Oh, neat! You know, and I thought that was the coolest thing, and and so I, I picked up like five I'm with the X Men ones because <laughs> <laughs> screw the Avengers back then. Yeah. But, exactly. uh, <laughs> but yeah the entertainment this month that is a, that is a staple of uh the speculator era and uh yeah. the pre-speculator era and i it's it's weird because like that was like your blue chip thing you had to, if you didn't buy the wizard magazine you had entertainment this month and you could kind of gauge your purchases and yep. uh and not only by the value of them but by the limits they'd set it's like like okay x-force number one bagged limit two it's yeah. like oh boy that's gonna be a big one so that, that's uh that's always one of those things i remember and uh and i it's one of those things i have a soft spot for despite it being probably part of the reason why 
you know, if the, 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 you know, the walls came tumbling down not soon after. True. Uh, <laughs> now what else we got in here? So the, the next one is a, it's a, a RPG game called mm-hmm. Rifts. It's not, I, I, I know a fair amount about RPG played quite a bit of D and D, that kind of like thing. Tabletop deal? Yeah. Mm-hmm. This is something I've never heard of. I mean, I read the ad, it sounded interesting enough, but I didn't do any Google searches or anything like that. It, mm-hmm. It's not something I ever recall anybody that I knew talking about. Yeah, I, I never – I was very, like, on the fringes of tabletop RPGs. I never really got into them. I, I have trouble sitting still. I just couldn't uh, – you know, the idea of it really appeals to me. I mean, I'm sitting here, you know, about to turn 40, and I, I, I think it would be cool to find a group of people to play you know, a tabletop game with, and, uh, mm-hmm. it's just not something I ever did. Um, but, uh, yeah, I, I never heard of this rift one either besides these ads. I know yeah. nobody I knew who, cause I, I had friends who were into them back then and nobody really talked about rifts. Yeah. So then the next one, it, it, it's a big double page ad for a 900 number X-Men mm-hmm. game. Battle oh, yeah. the X-Men's Deadliest Enemies. <laughs> now, I remember 900 numbers. Never yeah. called one. Always thought they were... Some of them were kind of interesting. You know, you like you could call Freddy Krueger and yep. Santa Claus. The one I always wanted to call was Kiss. Okay. I mean, there was a period when I was into Kiss that it drove my mother bananas. And you know, <laughs> she must have seen it in my eye when I would this ad would come on. And she would specifically say, you cannot call that. No. <laughs> but this one here, this is kind of a a game. So it must be that when you would call up, there would be a recording of some action sequence and you would have to press a number to do I think so. whatever the ad says. I mean, I don't remember this, but like I, I said, only, I wasn't yeah. reading at the time. I only remembered from the ad. Like the ad is burnt into my psyche because it's. It's one that I, one of those ads that I would pour over, and I would love to have called this, but I, I discovered these books about a year la- later, so the thing was over. But uh, I, I, it's one of those things that I feel like a lot of folks do remember, but I don't know if anybody actually played. Or, <laughs> and it's, I wish there was some sort of audio captured from this that, uh, yeah, that we could revisit and listen to and just see what the, see what this is all about because it's. It's one of those things that I, that's going to like stick with me until the day I die. It's like, well, if I, do I push six to fight Sauron? I mean, what do you, what do I do? You know, it's, exactly. it feels very interesting. And, you know, on the, on the topic of 900 numbers, I've only ever called one and I called, uh, I called the WWF hotline once. And, uh, <laughs> yeah, it was, uh, there was a pay-per-view. It was an in your house pay-per-view in like 1995 and our cable went out. You know, is that we would get the pay-per-views um, and it was like my folks weren't together and my dad would come over on the weekend and we'd watch the shows. So we would uh, we would get them, but the cable went out. So the only way I could find out what happened was calling the WWF hotline. And uh, it took whoever was giving the results a very long time to go through the results of that show. I do remember that. And uh, I, I, that's I, I never wanted to call one. Uh, I mean, they they all kind of like freak me out, 
I, I was a very skittish child. So like I'd see like the Freddy Freaker or something. And it's like, yeah. oh, why would I want to call that? Why would I want to or Freddy Krueger even? Why would I want to call him? Yeah. It's uh, always very, very strange. The, the whole disembodied voice thing just freaks me out. So it's like if I'm calling and hearing a recording of Santa, even that's going to scare, uh, you know, a five-year-old <laughs> Chris. So yeah, <laughs> what else we got here? So the next ad to me is the most curious ad in the in the book. Mm-hmm. It's it, the picture is uh, a blue panel, uh, cloudy sky with a little country home says celebrating 10 years of success. Mm-hmm. And on the right side is a yellow panel with a lot of text. And it's for Westfield at University Green P.O. Box 470 Middletown, Middleton, Wisconsin. And just looking at the ad, I can't tell you what they sell, what they're promoting. <laughs> to me, it looks like it's either a rehab clinic or an antique shop. Because, you know, stranger things have been advertised in comics. And you, could, you know, back in the 70s, you could become an electrician, they an architect, car jewelry. <laughs> yeah. No, but this it looks it looks like it does look like a rehab. It looks I mean, you got to see this ad to believe it, because it does not look like what it actually is. It, it does look like it looks like a halfway house or a, a rehab clinic that's yeah. celebrating, you know, all the people they, they put back into population here. It's but it turns it out very strange. It's that you can send away for a comic book catalog. Yes. Yes. Nothing and, about this ad says comic books to me. It does not. Uh, I did actually get their catalog. It was the Worlds of Westfield. No kidding. Uh, yeah, and I. The funny thing is, I didn't remember ever sending away for it. They just started showing up at my house, addressed to me. So I, I don't know how it happened, but I was suddenly getting Worlds of Westfield catalogs. Wow. And uh, and I got them for a few years, and then they just stopped coming. Just as just as mysteriously as they started coming, they stopped. And wow. I never knew what they were. And, and, you know, when I looked at this ad, I was like, I'm like, oh, God, that's that's the same people. <laughs> I, I don't know how they got like, I don't know if maybe my comic shop sold them my address. I don't know. But uh, but yeah, the, I got the Worlds of Westfield catalog uh, probably late 90s and uh, until they stopped sending them. So wow. <laughs> maybe they they realized I wasn't buying. So they uh, they stopped sending them. Now you just need to find somebody who actually sold grit because, I mean. You know, those are kind of like two mystery things right there. You know, and I and I, I was actually taking um, my wife's grandmother to the onco- no to a radiation thing or an MRI, and they actually had a recent issue of grit in the waiting room. I couldn't <laughs> believe it because it just looks like a regular magazine. But uh, and I, I did take some pictures of it, and it's it's weird. It's very weird. They've they've got like a classified, and this is very. Not very long ago, this is maybe within the past seven or eight years, this magazine came out and there were still people putting like their full addresses in there to like trade things or to sell things and wow. uh, to, for pen pals and uh, for recipes. And I'm like, what planet is this? Because, I, I, you know, I, I don't give my address or phone number out. I wouldn't put it in a magazine. Sure. There are crazy people out there. <laughs> That's right. And, uh and, and these people and, and it's like selling our compost toilet. Come by this address. It's like, what? You've got to be kidding me. But, yeah, that's grits weird. 
that's, that's <laughs> I've never seen one of the classic ones, though. I'd love to, though. Right. <laughs> so then there's, a, there's an East Coast Comics ad. Sure. Very, very similar to the the the, uh, the entertainment. No pictures, but I mean, it, you know, there's an array of comics here at various prices. Pretty standard stuff. Yeah, yeah. There's an ad for comic book subscriptions mm-hmm. that I actually I spent a few minutes looking at, and it's a really good deal. There's a get three titles for the price of two deal, mm-hmm. and then there's another one where you can get five dollars off. And then, I mean, you're saving five or six bucks by subscribing. Um, so it, half it, yeah. <clears throat> I was impressed by that. Yeah. Did you ever subscribe to a comic? I've never, ever subscribed to a comic book. How about you? My dad actually subscribed, bought subscriptions for me for Uncle Scrooge and Donald Duck when Gladstone was publishing them. Okay. Um, <clears throat> he he got the subscription. It was you know it was for me. He'd have it sent to his house, and mm-hmm. when we visit him on the weekends, you know. He'd say your comic book came and we'd read it. He'd read it and then I'd bring it home or whatever. And that went on for about two years, I think, maybe mm-hmm. three, because um, he was a big Carl Barks fan, big gotcha. Disney Duck fan. Um, so and it was something we did together, kind of thing. Mm-hmm. Sure, uh, sure. And they they always came in great shape. They, I don't remember how they were wrapped. And it, that was my next question. <laughs> yeah, no, they <clears throat> they always came in per- perfect shape, never a problem. Um, I still have them all. Very cool. Um, they've been read, read multiple read times. Death, but, yep. <laughs> but, uh, I still have them, and they were in good shape. So, but that's the only subscription I ever had. Never, I never subscribed to a Marvel or DC book. No, I, I've had subscriptions to like, uh, like Nintendo Power. That was like my my subscription that I'd get. Yeah. But uh, never to a comic. I I don't know if it was just me being impatient. Like I wanted to be, I wanted to get it at the shop the day it came out instead of risking it missing a day or two in the mail sure. um or or just uh, my lack of my, my inability to plan ahead that's uh that's kind of what kept me from doing like the dcbs thing for the longest time because it's like i'm ordering from for three months from now well how am yeah. i gonna know what i want three months from now so it's uh it might have been some of that but uh but yeah I've, I've heard horror stories about the condition that the books come in um you know, our, our friend uh, Chris Bailey was talking about how they're like folded directly in half, like into the 80s and 90s. Yeah, because <laughs> you always hear about the subscription folds back in the day. Yeah, but uh, but to, to, for the for like for the speculator era to have comics delivered folded in half, that just seems so weird. Yeah, that that I mean, miserable for the person with the subscription. Sure. For sure. <laughs> so we've got a, a Three Musketeers ad here that honestly looks like a recruitment ad for the Navy. <laughs> you know, there's a big there's a ships in it and something's flying out of the water and then there's a Three Musketeers bar like it's a big submarine or something. It, <laughs> it's certainly not as interesting as those Gumby and Pokey ads in the Strike Force Moratory comics. Going to Gumdinger world, yeah. Gum That's right. world. How, how do you feel about Three Musketeers bars? All right, so <laughs> I I like the Three Musketeers. Sure, it's not my favorite. My brother gives me a lot of static about it because there are plenty of other candy bars that have the two ingredients that have okay. three, the Three Musketeers have and are just better. So why would you waste your time on a Three Musketeers? <laughs> 
but when it's in a Halloween bag, you know the the the, the forty pound bag you give out. Sure. Halloween, I like it. They're a, it's a fine candy. Yeah, it's not bad. I I tried uh, before I went on my my crazy diet. They uh I discovered that they had like birthday cake three musketeer bars. That and, does not uh, sound good. It is not indeed. <laughs> um, it actually tastes it tastes uh just like a bland three musketeers bar. So it's like you get a three musketeers with none of the flavor. So it's a it's a lose lose situation. Yeah, I, I get that. Calories. Yeah. Yeah, so, <laughs> what's so the, our what's our back cover look like? So the 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 comic wraps up with the X Men action figures from Toy Biz. It's the the first line. Um, mm. You know, there's the Apocalypse and Juggernaut that are the same size. There's the Wolverine with the really ridiculous removable mask. It looks like a ring you could put on your finger. Exactly. Oh. Um, there's uh, Colossus who's just gonna lift weights. <laughs> there's hardly any articulation in a lot of them <laughs> they were they were cool figures because you never had x-men toys before absolutely but they weren't very good toys no retro retrospect they they were subpar um yeah. i i was actually digging through my box of them uh, earlier this week and uh i thought apocalypse is just the worst yeah. Um. Like you pull his legs out to make him taller, but all it looks like is like there's like a stick between his like lower leg and upper leg. So it doesn't look like he got bigger. It just looks like he's on stilts. Yeah. And it's and, and you can't you know God help you if you try to stand him up. Um. <laughs> Magneto. He has the cool thing about the Magneto figure is you can remove his helmet, but under the helmet he looks like a kindly old man. <laughs> Like, he looks like just this really nice dude, like, in his 70s. You know, just a nice guy. You know, you'd, you'd sit next to him at a, on a park bench or something. Doesn't yeah. look like Magneto. Uh, that Wolverine. The, the the thing I liked about that Wolverine figure that that they never revisited is the fact that you could actually keep his claws in. Like, yeah. you, you, you pulled in, like, this little tab on his on his wrist going up to his elbow, and then you tucked it in behind, like, a little little divot. So actually like, like click the thing and they pop out with all the ones that came after this, like they were just like spring loaded. So they would always stay out. So you'd have like your Wolverine and this was in the brown costume, the, the, the first series here. When you'd get the yellow costume that everybody wanted, the claws didn't go in. All they would do was like spring in and then pop back out. So they wouldn't disappear completely. So anytime you used them, his claws were out. <laughs> I thought yeah. that was very silly. You couldn't so, have you know, a good meeting with the X-Men with him like that. Let me ask you this. Now, I lo- this costume, the brown and orange, mm-hmm. is my favorite Wolverine costume. This is not yours? Um, you know, I like it. Um, you know, Wolverine was never my guy. So I, <laughs> I, I always wanted the one that was in the books. And, and by the time I was reading it, he was in the yellow costume again. So I wanted the yellow toy. Gotcha. But uh. But yeah, I do have a, a fondness for the brown one too. Um, I'm actually trying to catch up on the most recent volume of Uncanny X-Men, the one that came out uh, last year, 2018. It was 2019, actually. I think it was this year it came out. And uh, for a period in that, Wolverine is back in his brown costume, and I thought that was really cool. And, and yeah. Cyclops is in his, you know, his uh, Jim Lee costume too, which I, I really dig too. So yeah, yeah that's a that, that's the thing about this Cyclops. He's not in 
the Jim Lee costume. He's not even in the Will Spertacio costume that came before it. He's in like a very early X Factor with like the the dome head. It, it, like his hair isn't sticking out, um, yep. and his hair had been sticking out in the comics for a few years at this point. Yeah. So that's a weird take. Uh, Nightcrawler hadn't been on the X Men for a long time. He, he was he's over an Excalibur, and he got an action figure. Yeah. Um, and uh, Juggernaut, he's very small. Yeah. My brother, uh, he would call him the Pillow Man when he saw that action figure. He said, oh, he looks like a pillow man. And yeah, he does. He kind of looks like a little pillow man. <laughs> That's pretty funny. <laughs> now, do you, you did collect, your, you or your brother did collect these or? Well, yeah. So at this time, so we're a little bit older. So now we were buying them um, as collectibles. You know, we, you'd go into KB and it, it mm-hmm. wasn't when they were first out in maybe, you know, another couple of years. Okay. But you could go into KB toy and get three for 10. Okay. You know, or whatever. And they, they had a whole bunch of lines at this point, but sure. you could usually find, still find, you know, this original line mm-hmm. uh, and you could see how it got better over time. Oh not, yeah. Not completely better, but there, there were certainly improvements. Oh so yeah. I've probably got a pile of maybe, I don't know, 30 or 40 of the, the Toy Biz mm-hmm. X-Men, X-Factor toys, that for sure. Did you get any of the uh, the play sets? No, I, I wouldn't have been Ooh, buying the were, play sets at this point. They were trash. Because uh, just like you, I went into KB and they, they were clearancing them out for I, these play sets that I think were usually like 30 bucks. I think they were clearancing them out for like five each. And uh, you can get like a Danger Room set. You can get a uh, like Wolverine's slash and go something or another. Uh, You can get like Magneto's Magnetron uh, car and uh, Wolverine's mutant cycle. And oh, they were the worst. They were the ugliest. And uh, yeah, I don't know. I don't know what they were thinking, putting them out. But uh, but I I did buy them for (laughs) for clearance prices. Oh, sure. And they're still somewhere in the garage. Yeah. And I, I, I do remember seeing some of them and thinking these don't look very good because they were so big because of yeah. the weird articulation the figures had. Oh, yeah. So in order for to put Wolverine on the motorcycle, it would have to be like the size of <laughs> a car. stands on it. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's really, really bad. But uh, now that is X-Factor number 71. A little bit of a recap attack here. Val Cooper's trying to assemble a new team for X-Factor. This is, of course, post the original five going back to uh, the Xavier Institute. And so, what better? If you can't get Cyclops, you go for his brother. So she's in Genosha looking for Alex. Finally gets him to join. Strong guy's there. Multiple man's there. Quicksilver decides to join, but he's also dying every time he uses his power. Lorna's there, Rain's there, and we wrap up with Jamie Madrox getting shot many, many times and falling several stories to his apparent death. Yep. So next time, we're going to find out exactly what happened to the multiple man. But before I let you go, uh, do you have anything you'd like to plug, my friend? Well, I, I do have my blog that I, I try to write on occasionally I, it's, uh, <laughs> comics 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 dot blog um and you can find me on twitter at big ox 737 
Excellent. Excellent. Thank you very much, my friend. We will catch you again next time when we uh, continue our path toward X Factor 72. Excellent. No place to hide. No place to run. No place to run. You can